Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, um, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 130, please. I don't have time to go through Psalm 98. I wanted to really bad last Wednesday, and I got sick, like even worse than I sound now. And Tommy, you did a, a great job leading us in that um, in God's Word last week. But um, so tonight, I, I just don't want to leave you at a church conference without spending a little time in God's Word. And I just want to look at the first four verses of Psalm 130. Uh, if If you've been saved, if you have ever come to know and trust in the amazing grace of God to us in Jesus Christ, I am sure there has been some point in your life when you have wondered why. Have you? Have you ever uh, wondered, uh, why is God so good to me? You know, why, uh, with everything I've done against him, uh, why is God gracious to me? Why did he save me? I won't break out in the Chris Christopherson song, but has that ever crossed your mind? Why me, Lord? Why do I deserve this grace? And the reality is we don't. Um, But we're actually given God's purpose or God's goal in his grace to us in the first four verses of Psalm 130. Let's read it. Uh, It says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Let's pray. Father, as we come to these four verses here, uh, I'm so thankful that you answer this question for us. Uh, We learn of your purpose and your grace, um, the goal of your grace working in our lives. And Lord, I I pray that this would be something we could cling on to every time that question does come into our minds. Lord, something that we can share with others um, that might be apprehensive about why they should trust in Jesus as Savior uh, based on things they have done or things they're struggling with. Uh, Lord, I, I'm so thankful for the truth in your word here. Make it clear to us this evening. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And so it's in the first three verses that we learn the grace of God is a removing grace. We experience his grace in a multitude of, of ways. You're here right now. You're sitting in that pew with your heart beating, you breathing because of God's grace. You were woken up this morning because of God's grace. You have food in your cupboards at home because of God's grace. Um, I don't know too many people who probably walked here. Uh, Mr. Horace is in Florida, so I don't think he rode his bike tonight. Um, we have cars because God is grace gracious, uh, all of his providence, but, but none, none of God's grace, those experiences, none is greater than him dealing with our greatest need, uh, the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, and that's what God has the psalmist speak of here in the first three verses. In verse one, he says, out of the depths of despair over his sin, literally in a position of, of complete helplessness, he cries to the Lord. Pleading with God in verse 2 for God to hear his desperate prayer of dependence on God's grace. And then in verse 3, the psalmist has come to acknowledge uh, what every single one of us needs to come to acknowledge. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? 
or to put it another way, if God doesn't, in his grace, remove our sin, we remain helpless and hopeless. And the picture that God is painting here uh, in verse 3 in the who shall stand phrase, it is a legal or judicial one. It's of us standing before the great judge of the universe, uh, the God who sees everything we have done and haven't done, as who knows everything we've done and haven't done. And before him, there's not one of us who could stand. We couldn't. And there's not one of us who would receive uh, anything other than his righteous and holy verdict of guilty. There's not one of us whose good deeds would outweigh our bad. Even just a single violation, just one instance of disobedience would require him to pronounce the guilty verdict. And instead of us standing, we'd be ushered out of that courtroom um, toward our eternal and deserved punishment. And this whole scene is only heightened by um, other truths in scriptures. Um, the, the reality that God does, God does mark iniquities. That uh, God does keep a record of all we have done. Job 28, 24 says, For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. Psalm 139, 4, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it, Altogether, Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on both the evil and the good. Hebrews 4, 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I'll give you one more. You go to the end, go to the end of the Bible, the literal fulfillment of what we're talking about and what God refers here to in the first four verses of Psalm 130. And uh, in Revelation 20, uh, 11 to 15, what is described as the great white throne judgment. In verse 12 there, says this, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. They're judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. Well, that sure sounds like iniquities being marked, and that's because they are. Now, there's no Christians. There's no Christians here at that scene in Revelation 20. Um, we are not part of that judgment. The person who has received Jesus Christ as Savior, he has blank pages in those books because his name or her name is written in that other book in the book of life. But, but for those who reject Christ or who fail to receive Christ as their Savior, those pages are full. They're full. And tr- truthfully, there's probably books, books of full pages for every single person, books full of marked iniquities. And, and that's the goal of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ is to remove our sin, to erase those pages. God's grace is a removing grace. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, uh, when your name is written in the book of life, uh, those pages of, of all your marked iniquities, they're removed. They're erased as if they've never been there. How can a just God do that? Well, because the punishment that was due for all those iniquities uh, of yours and mine Uh, They were laid on Jesus Christ uh, on that cross. As I was writing this, that old uh, gospel hymns chorus came to mind. All my iniquities on him were laid. He nailed them all to the tree. Jesus, the debt 
of my sin fully paid. He paid the ransom for me. Are you glad God's grace is a removing grace tonight? Man, it wipes out the record of my sin. It justifies me and you. Just as if I never sinned, just as if I never will. And we're told more about God's grace in verse 4. It's also a revering grace for us who now have unmarked iniquities because we've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. There should be a resultant response by us toward God. It says in verse 4, there is forgiveness with you that thou mayest be feared. Can I give you the NIV's way of putting this verse? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. So, so there's another answer to the goal of God's grace. Another answer to why me, Lord? Why did you save me? Well, it tells us right there in verse four, Lord, you are gracious so that we can with reverence serve you. God's grace is intended to be a revering grace. Webster's Dictionary says revering means to have a deep respect or admiration for. Is that your response to your iniquities being unmarked? Uh, to God separating your sins from you as far as the east is from the west? Does it create a, a, a respect, a deep respect or admiration for all God is for you in Jesus Christ? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we may with reverence serve you. And is that deep respect and admiration you feel, is it a real thing? Is it manifested in your life by you serving God? That's the goal of his grace to you. God says in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, and he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those who live, that they should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Who are you living for? The goal of his grace, the answer to that why me, Lord, question is for you who have received his grace to no longer live for yourself, but for him who died for you. I like how God puts it in Titus 2. 11 to 12. He says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Does it? Does his grace teach you that? Because that's the goal of it. That, that's what his grace should teach you. There can be misunderstandings where his grace teaches you, well, you can just keep on sinning Keep on getting grace. That, that's not the goal of it. That's not God's design in it. That's not his intent in it. God's intent in his grace is that it would teach you that you can. You can now say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And you can say yes to living a Christ-like, self-controlled, godly lifestyle. Or as we go back here to Psalm 130, verse 4, and what it says, so that we with reverence can serve you, Lord, you know, one of those self-controlled, upright, and godly ways of reverentially serving the Lord is you and I having a reflecting grace in our lives. And what I mean here is you and I dispensing grace in the exact same manner that we have received it to those who are around us. But what if they don't deserve it? Well, they don't. <laughs> Neither did you deserve the grace that you've received from God. God tells us what he requires of his followers in Micah 6, 8. You're to do justly. You're to do what's right. You're to love mercy. And you're to walk humbly with your God. Listen, you can't do what's right. And you cannot walk humbly with your God if you don't do that middle one. If you don't love mercy. 
Now, most of us love mercy in the sense that we love getting it, right? I love getting it. I love getting mercy and grace, but maybe we don't always love mercy as far as giving it in equal measure. But we can't. We cannot serve God reverentially without reflecting the grace that he's given us to those around us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, according to Christ, loving mercy and reflecting the grace that he's given us, so we've been so freely given, it is such a hallmark of truly having received God's grace to us in Jesus that Jesus lists it there as an evidence, not a cause of you being saved, but an evidence that you have been saved, that you truly have received his grace. And reflecting God's grace to others, what a powerful witnessing tool. I mean, what a clear gospel declaration. Uh, It was for the Apostle Paul and Silas. We're not there on Sunday morning in Acts yet, but in Acts 16, 22, both of them guys are in a Philippian jail cell. And uh, they've been stripped and beaten and flogged. And what are they doing in that Philippian jail cell? They're singing praises to God. While their feet are in stocks, while the jailer who stripped, beat, and severely flogged them is, is guarding them. And then at midnight, God sends a violent earthquake. The freedom opened up those stocks, opened up the prison doors. That Philippian jailer drew his sword. He was going to kill himself because he was about to lose all of the prisoners assigned to him. And Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. And that jailer fell trembling, it says, before Paul and Silas and asked them, what must I do to be saved? You think he would have trusted in Christ as Savior? Uh, And we would see him one day in eternity worshiping Jesus if Paul and Silas just sat there and remained silent? Let him do what he's about to do? Or if they would have bugged out of that jail cell and saying, hey, this guy's just getting what he deserved for how he treated us a couple hours earlier. Listen, we can make such an impact in the Great Commission and for Christ's kingdom when we will reflect to others the grace that we've been given by God. And that means at home, (laughs) toward our family, at work, maybe that godless pagan employer or employee that just grinds your gears, or reflecting God's grace to that person ahead of us in the checkout line, that's taking too long. Or that person in front of you in the highway that you're not sure how he got his license. That's the goal of God's grace toward you. Here in Psalm 130, verses 1 to 4, you, we have the answer to why me, Lord? Why, why did you save me? Now, what will we do with this truth? Will we never cease to be anything less than awestruck that our sins have been blotted out, that we no longer have iniquities that are marked down? Will we live in praise to God for unmarking our iniquities? Will we respond to his forgiveness with reverent service, like verse 4 says? Having a deep respect and admiration for God's grace to us in Jesus, having that motivate us to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. Will we learn, like Titus 2 said, will we, his grace is there to teach us. Will we learn to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and say yes to God's principles for how we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to talk and how we're supposed to act? 
And will we reflect that grace that we've been given to all those around us? Now, your dispensing of grace being a, a de- gospel declaration, a way you're sharing the gospel with others, telling them what Jesus offers them. We sing it here, right? His grace is greater than what? All our sins. His grace is greater than all your sins. His grace is greater than all my sins. If his grace is greater than all your sins, is it greater than their, their sins against you? It is. It is. And what we choose to do will tell them about God's grace. It'll tell them about it one way or another. Should be a revering grace, should be a reflecting grace, because it was a removing grace for us. So I'll have Tommy and the praise team, if you'll come up at this time, and we'll close our time together here by singing of that grace and of Jesus Christ being our hope.